0: Can I see your Bible? Now, some of you may need to hold your phone up. Let's go. I see it right there. Got it? Got it? Okay. I want to ask you to find a verse of Scripture with me in your copy of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And here is the thought around Hebrews 11, verse 6. One simple key to a life that pleases God. One simple key to a life that pleases God. I believe most all of us are here today Because we want to live a life that pleases the Lord. We want to honor Him. We want to be a blessing to Him. When our name comes up in heaven, should and if it ever does, we want there to be a smile on some faces and joy in some hearts. When you look at the Scripture, though, living a life that pleases the Lord's heart Is never intended to be a complicated thing. It's very clear God understands that He is God and we are not. He is smart, He is infinite in His understanding, and we are amazingly finite in our humanity. So, what is it? What is it that would compose the centermost part? of God's pleasure with us in the life that we live, in the life that we live. Verse 6, Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, that's stated in the negative. To phrase the same meaning in the positive, it would go like this. With faith, it is possible to please him. The word please is there because it's intended to convey what we would expect that Word to convey. What pleases you? What is a joy to you? What's a delight to you? What do you look forward to doing? Where do you enjoy being? With faith, it is possible to please God. That's the answer to our question, that one simple key to living a life that pleases God. But this morning, I want to try to accomplish a couple of things. One is to try to show from the Scripture how important this matter of faith is to the Lord, how it ranks, how it stacks up in other things that we might do or attributes that we might have. And then the second thing that I hope we can cover at least a little bit is what does faith look like? What is it to believe God? Is is that some um, dimension that, that, that only super, super spiritual people can achieve? Or is it something that's just very possible For us in our normal lives, in our ordinary lives, to express to the Lord. I hope the latter of those two options is the answer that we that we come to. Without faith or with faith, it is possible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that that he exists, that he is there, that he is real, and, and this is a great line, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. I think it's interesting that it's put that way, a rewarder of those who seek him. Not necessarily does it say who seek him for something, seek him for this, seek him to do that. Try to get his ear so he'll bring this need in, or this opportunity in. It just says, he's a rewarder of those who seek him, who seek him for who he is. Not for what he can do, but for who he is. On Mother's Day, it's important, I think, for us to love our mothers, not just for what they might be able to do for us, for the special pie they kind of make, they have a way of making, or those biscuits, or those things that they have a way of doing, or, or just even the, the presence that she brings to the home, just uh, the smile that's there, but to love her for who she is without having her having to do one more thing. We seek her, we desire her for who she is. That's the meaning of this, that the Lord is sought because He's a desire of our heart, not just to try to get us to get something, enable us to get something from Him. I'll show you another verse that runs parallel with this. Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. And what does the scripture say, Paul writes, and Abraham believed God Abraham exercised faith in God Abraham believed God trusted God uh, expressed loyalty to God He, he believed God and then what it was reckoned to him as righteousness it was contributed into his account put in his account credited to him as righteousness what was what what caused that Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God, and the result was that God put in his account right standing in the sense that sin, the wrongs that Abraham had committed or would commit in his life, would no longer be an issue, that heaven would be open to Abraham. Abraham was pleasing to God in right standing with God without sin being a problem between him and God on the basis of what? Because of what? Because he believed God. Because he believed God. there's a very important passage of scripture in your Bible that ties in with the, the setting for this is in Genesis chapter 15. So I'd, I'd like for you to turn back to all the way to the first book in the Bible. And, and let me read this section with us. Genesis chapter 15, starting in, in verse 1. After these things, the Lord, or the word of the Lord, came to Abram. This is before he became Abraham in a vision saying. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since thou hast given me no offspring, One born in my house is my heir. Um, He and Sarah had not been able to have a child, so it would stand that the next legal representative, the next legal heir, would have to be someone born, a household servant born in Abram's household, and the name of that fellow was Eleazar of Damascus. Verse 4, Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eleazar, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he, the Lord, verse 5, took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then there's verse 6, then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, reckoned it, reckoned this believing, reckoned the faith to him as righteousness, as right standing with God, as in a place of, of, of favor, pleasure with God. Right, now, here's the interesting thing about that, one of two interesting things about that. The sign of God's personal covenant with Abraham was the sign of circumcision. Abraham would undergo circumcision, and all of the, the males after him in his line would undergo the same as a statement of, as an indication of, a unique covenant relationship with God. This happened, this right standing before God on the basis of faith, happened before Abraham was circumcised. The second interesting point is, it was going to be more than 400 years later before Moses would receive the law of God on Mount Sinai and the following laws given to him by the Holy Spirit as the days went on. Now think about this. Those of you who study your Bible and and it's important to get a grip on this, what is it that really pleases God about my life? Abraham was said to have been in right standing with God before circumcision and before The law was ever written in order for him to know what the Ten Ten Commandments hadn't even been written. None of the laws in Leviticus, none of the dietary laws, none of the feast laws, none of the the fast laws had ever been written. This This was all without the law. Right standing with God, Abraham found without circumcision and without the law. He wasn't able to say, God is pleased with me because I've kept the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments hadn't been written from God to man yet. God's pleased with me because I've undergone this this ritual or this rite that would indicate my singular loyalty to Him. Sometimes as Christians, we will count that as baptism, the Christian circumcision, being, being identified with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. But that hadn't happened. So what was it that in the heart of God was more important than Abraham having that covenant established between him and the Lord and the fact that Abraham would have kept all of the rules in the scripture because that hadn't been written. What was more important? What in the mind of God was more important that Abraham expressed than anything else that he could have expressed? It was that he chose from his heart to just believe God. Now, sometimes we get this thought that that um, somebody who's out there, somebody who doesn't really know that much about God, hadn't been raised in the church, and uh, you know, doesn't know their way through the Bible, can't navigate through the scriptures that. You know, there's just, it's just going to be pretty impossible for them to ever really, for a while yet, be, be pleasing to God. Because they've got to learn all this other stuff. They, they, they've got to be baptized. They've got to join a church. They've got to through, go through a discipleship group. They, they've got to uh, know the Christianese, the, the, the dialect that uh, evangelicals speak. The problem with that is it's just not true, according to your Bible. That it is possible, on the other hand, for somebody to know all of the Scripture, to be able to navigate backwards and forwards, all of the laws, all of the rules, Old Testament New Testament, to have been baptized in the Jordan River seven times and baptized in Alamo City 15 times, and still not be pleasing to God in the depth of their hearts, because there's no real active faith working. It's just a mind game, or it's just a, there's a disconnect. It's, it's not from the heart. But here here's the deal, folks. Somebody who may have never darkened the door of a church, somebody who may not know the may not know Habakkuk from from, from Romans or the maps but some way or another inside their hearts have a leaning toward God. The the cry of their desperate hearts would be, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I'm looking to you as one founder of of a great ministry to rescue the folks in great need in our city the cry of his heart, riddled with drugs and all kinds of stuff in his background, one day just came to the place, God, I need a break. I need a break. And God gave him the break. God opened his heart. God opened his eyes. God began a work of rescuing him. Abraham. Abraham hadn't been circumcised. Abraham hadn't kept or broken the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments weren't broken. But as far as God was concerned, God reckoned him, considered him, credited to his account, right standing before God solely on the basis that he believed God for what God said he would do. Amen. Amen. Now that, do you see how simple that? It's not a complicated. You don't have to be a Baptist, and then become a Catholic, and then all of a sudden get the gift, and then you're a Pentecostal or wrap it up. You don't have to do all those chases, monkey chases, and, and jumping over bar hoops and all of that kind of stuff. What pleases God according to the word of God is when he finds somebody who will just trust him who will just believe, who will just stand there in the middle of whatever's going on in your life and just saying, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know how this will end. I don't know how to make sense of it. I don't have the ability to bring a conclusion to it, but I somehow I'm just trusting you. I'm just believing you. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the circumstance is going to change and the solution is going to come, but it means that there is in the heart of that person and the heart of God in heaven, there is is a pleasurable relationship. And and sometimes some of us as Christians can get so so legalistic and so squeaky clean and so needle-nosed, and we get to trying to put everything, pick everything out, and we lose all the joy, and we lose the sense of the pleasure of heaven on our lives because we forget it. He's not a fill-in-the-blank God. He's not a a take-a-multiple-choice question. Multiple choice <laughs> test, God, question God. He, he's not that. He looks in a heart and where he sees faith, where he sees trust, where he sees a reaching out to him and a leaning his direction, there is a kindness that reciprocates. There was a there was a pleasure that moves in that so, so I, I want to just want to make that as best we can clear. Before there was ever, a law to keep. God made it possible for a man to be found in right standing with him before there were ever any laws to keep or to break. And it was solely on the basis of Abraham saying, God, I trust you. God, I believe you. I believe in you. Now, we are called sons and daughters of Abraham. Christians, because there is a common denominator between Abraham and us, and the common denominator is faith. That we are not trusting in what church we join or that we've been baptized, that we've done, a, we are trusting solely and singularly on the fact that Jesus Christ, before we were ever born, saw us coming knew every sin we would commit, every lack, every need, every grief that we would suffer. And the scripture says he took all of that, the sin, the sorrows, the grief, took that in his body, and when he was nailed to the cross, he died in our place for our sins and for our sorrows and our suffering. And we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us and accomplished for us. Abraham, faith in God. You and me, faith in God. We trust in Christ. He was looking forward to the coming of Christ, but that was not singularly what it was all about. It wasn't that Abraham was seeing in some mystical way the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. All Abraham saw at that point in time was, God said, I'm going to give you a son. The son is not going to be by way of of Hagar, the the housemaid to to Sarah, and that's where Ishmael, that son came forth. It won't be that way. It won't be by Eleazar. It won't be that way, a household servant. It will be through your own body and through Sarah's own body. I am telling you, you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. And Abraham just said, Okay, good with me. If you said it, I accept it. That was called believing God. It wasn't rocket science, it it wasn't wasn't mystical. It was just the sense that God was making the promise. And Abraham saying, And listen, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a college professor at a Bible college somewhere. He was a businessman. He was a cattle raiser. He was a rancher. He worked with people. He was a businessman. He was an an ordinary human being. He wasn't a preacher, a prophet, or the son thereof. He was just a normal person with a bunch of stuff under and a bunch of people under his care. And God said to him, spoke to him, let him know, you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a child. And Abraham said, okay. Abraham said, I receive it. And that was called faith. That was called faith. And the result of that was God called, allowed that faith to be satisfactory over the sins and the errors in judgment, all that Abraham would do in his life up to that time and after that time. God looked at his faith, and on the basis of Abraham agreeing with God and believing in God, God said, I declare that, I decree to you, right standing with me. I, I I don't know how deep That's blowing into your heart this morning. But I hope it does. I I just hope it does before noon today. That God is not looking at me or you solely on the basis of what you've done right or solely on the basis of what you've done wrong. He's looking at your heart and he's desiring to see in your heart a heart that will just say, I trust you, Lord such as I am, the wrongs, the rights, the incompletes about my life, I believe you. Standing right in the middle of what you're in the middle of, with whoever out there is mad at you or pleased with you, with whatever you've accomplished, with whatever you've still got left to do. If I want to live my life Monday morning pleasing to my God, then I step into Monday not having all the answers, not having fixed all the problems, not coming in as clean as I could come in. i just come in saying, Lord, the best I can, I am trusting you with my life. I'm believing you. Without faith, without that, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't matter how much Scripture you know. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter who your parents were or weren't. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. 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 All right? Now, now with that that being said, let let me talk a little bit about what faith is going to look like. With with Abraham, it, it was going to be a long journey. It was gonna be a lifetime. God spoke the promise to him early on, earlier in the earlier years to him and Sarah. And it would be decades before the, the Son would come, before the promise would finally be fulfilled. It would be a long season. And in that long season, there had to have been times when Abraham Remembered, he—he he was all he had working within him as the days passed. Were the memories of what God had said to him as a much younger man. He wasn't shouting. He wasn't being loud about it. There wasn't anything he could do to change it or to increase the speed of the promise coming. Season, a long season, a long season. But in that long season, he was remembering and he was believing. For some of us, sometimes, and some of you may be in this, in a season like this this morning, it, it's a long season. It's like it's a long flat space. It, there, there's not a lot happening. But you're believing God. I love that in Romans chapter 4, where, it, where Paul goes on, he talks more about Abraham, and just say that Abraham, we talked about this last week, Abraham looked to the Lord, believed the God, believed God who, who, who brings to life the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. And then he goes on to say that he grew strong in faith. As he got older, he was growing strong in faith as he gave glory to God. He wasn't spending his time imagining what it was going to look like to, to hold that little baby boy or, or, or Sarah having a baby in her lap. That wasn't what he was doing. He was spending his time focusing. Folks, listen, there's a key in this. There's a point of principle. As he focused upon the Lord, as he gave praise to the Lord, as he was thanking the Lord for his goodness and his power and his wisdom and his timing and his ability and all of those things, as he was giving glory to the Lord, faith. Grew up in his heart, kept getting stronger in his heart. What kind of faith? And it was the specific faith to believe that God was going to give him a son. He was getting older, but he was getting stronger in faith. Why was that happening? It wasn't because he was staring at an imaginary picture of Isaac being born. It was because he was staring at the God who gave him the promise. It wasn't that he was so much believing God for something as it was that he was believing God, period, period. <laughs> Just believe in God, period. I'm I'm, I'm needing to hollow this out to some folks. You've been in a long, flat stretch, and it's lasted for a while. And you can wonder, is there ever going to be any change? Is it ever going to be what God has spoken to me in the earlier days that my life would be? And I would just say to you, the calendar's in God's hands. When he does what he does is up to him. But what you can do in the meantime that keeps you in that place of being pleasing to him is that from your heart back to him, you're just saying, Lord, I praise you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you. I believe The more you focus on him, the reality, the veracity of that promise that you have felt that you had or the hope that's working in your heart, the, the, the truer it will be revealed in the context of praise. If as I praise him, my promise or the hope doesn't seem to fit, then I probably need to question the hope of the promise. It may have been something I came up with on my own, but here's what it worked with Abraham. As he praised the Lord, as he focused him on the Lord, as he was giving glory to God, he got stronger. In the ability to believe that what God had said God was gonna do y'all not hearing that you need we need We need to hear that you can test whether it's a false dream or a true dream you can test whether it is a false hope that you just came up with or whether it's something that God put in your heart you test it by bringing it into the atmosphere of his presence you get in the atmosphere of his presence and you praise him and honor him and bless him and brag on him and worship him and some way or another that which is from God will fit like a glove in that context. It won't fit if it's just something you made up or just was an empty hope. That's a powerful truth. As he focused on God, his faith got stronger. This was at the end of decades, folks, I mean, he was getting older, and Sarah was getting more stricken in years, as they talk about the No old women in the Bible. You know that, don't you? They're just well stricken in years. That's how it puts it. But they weren't getting any younger. Time was passing. But as he, as he continued to focus and praise the Lord, the faith to believe that God would do what God had promised him to do grew stronger. Important key. All right. Simple key to a life that pleases God. The simple key is to believe God. Sometimes it's in a long season. Here's another one. Sometimes sometimes the believing, the believing God comes in an awful, in the context, in the setting of an awful sin, an awful sin. I want you to find Psalm 51, please. David, the author of this song, you'll remember he was called the man after God's own heart, the man on the trail of, the man in pursuit of, the man looking for God's own heart. In some ways he was like or similar to God's heart, but I think the more solid understanding, particularly realizing all that went on in David's life, is to read it in this way. He was a man who was pursuing God's heart, chasing God's heart, after God's heart. Okay, adultery hit. Murder came into the picture. Lying to cover up. A whole series of the Ten Commandments this man after God's own heart committed. But then look at this, Psalm 51. Here is this man, an adulterer, a murderer, murderer, a liar, a coveter, all of those things, all of those things that he did in a premeditated fashion, he did it. But in the context of that sin, these words begin to come out of his heart. As you read these words, he wouldn't have written these words if there wasn't some kind of faith working in his sinner's heart. Be gracious to me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions, he wouldn't have even approached God. He wouldn't dare to bring up these attributes of the character of God if there wasn't working in the heart of David a faith in and a trust in God. Even in the place of an awful sin, faith has the ability to secure the pleasure of God upon a person and in a life that has dismally grieved the heart of God and failed Him. Pleasure, the pleasure, how powerful this matter of faith is that even though I'm a sinner, even though I've blown it, I'm still turning my heart toward God and I'm hoping, I'm trusting, I'm believing that He is a God of compassion. I don't need justice. I don't need retribution. I need compassion. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Purify me with hyssop, verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Sacrifices, verse 17, of God, or a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Folks, do you hear the cry of faith in David's words? He wouldn't even be saying these things if there wasn't something, some reservoir, some generator inside him that was saying, I'm going to believe God. I'm gonna trust God even though I don't deserve His mercy. I'm gonna trust that He is a God of mercy. I'm gonna trust that He is a God of compassion. I'm gonna trust that He will create in me a clean heart because I've nothing but dirt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within. Folks, listen this, this, kind, this faith that secures the pleasure of God sometimes comes in a wrapper of awful sin, just as much as it can come in a wrapper of a long, endless season. But it still remains true, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That even if it's coming from a broken vessel, he responds with kindness toward a heart of faith. Now, folks, there's some of us that that have been in church probably a little too much, you know, been been around Christian people maybe a little too much. We we've lost we've lost touch with, with how the real world lives and what has to deal with. And sometimes we, we get our we get our our nose all up in the air and, and we, we get to well this one really can't know the favor of God and this one really can't really be blessed because they haven't done this and they haven't done, or they have done that and have done the other. But we don't realize as we're judging and creating a distance from us and them, we don't realize that God may very well see something in that heart that we don't have the ability to see. And we don't understand why compassion seems to flow and restoration seems to happen and and, and it gets another chance at life and we're we're just thinking they've written them off, written them off. But God somehow, in the way that only God can do it, might have heard that one we've given up on in the wee hours of the night, in the midnight, crying out, God, have mercy on me. Jesus, give me a break. You say, well, how much faith does it take? What did Jesus say? Give me a a mustard seed, would you? Somebody pull a mustard seed out of your pocket. It's a speck. It's a speck. It's a speck. But where he sees that kind of faith, that kind of leaning toward the Lord, that kind of trust, even if the wrapper is sin, Even if the wrapper is old age and human impossibility stacked up against it, there's still something that registers in the heart of a loving Father God that is pleasure to him. He delights to rescue. He doesn't delight to make people squirm. He delights in restoration and reunion. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. One simple key to a life that pleases God. If the rapper is a long season, if the rapper is an awful sin, if the rapper finds your way to Mark chapter five, if the rapper is a costly sickness, even. The Gospel of Mark is just an amazing section of scripture to read, and I would encourage you to. Get familiar with this wonderful gospel. The scholars say that it probably is the oldest of the four gospels, and the reason they say that is because it is is included, about 90% of it is included in Matthew and Luke. John is written to interpret the life of Jesus, not so much as a chronological record, but you will have whole sections of the gospel of Mark recorded in Matthew and Luke which they were scholars would seem to say it was a primary source material. And then Matthew and Luke expanded upon it. But it's just, it's just, it's just shot full of these amazing stories of what Jesus did and who he did it to and, and the settings of all of them. And so here, here, we, here we find one in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and upon seeing him fell at his feet, fell at Jesus' feet and entreated him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him. And a great multitude was following Jesus and pressing in on him. And a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hand of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I shall get well. And immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around the crowd and said, "'Who touched my garments?' And his disciples said to him, "You, "'You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, "'Who touched me?' And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The rest of that chapter deals with how he ended up at Jairus' house and raised the young 12-year-old daughter back to life again, even though everyone was saying that she had died. But I want us to look at verse 34 mainly, just for a second. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Well, what did her faith look like? What did she do? Had she been to Bible college? Had she memorized 40 verses on healing. Do we know whether or not she had confessed all of her sins? Had she ever been baptized? We know none of the answers to those questions. What was her faith? What was it? She had a conversation with herself. She talked to herself and said, I think... If I can just get close enough to touch his garments, then I'll get well. That's all it was. She had faith to work her way into a crowd, through the crowd, and come up behind Jesus uninvited, unprepared, if you will. So hoping it would be such an inconspicuous thing that nobody would even know. It was all hidden within the confines of her broken heart, but her desperate need. She talked to herself and she said, If I can just touch him, I'll get well. Obviously, Jesus was pleased with her faith. What she did, the way she approached him, pleased him, and he rewarded her search of him. Hallelujah. Folks, listen. it's, It's not how fancy, it's not how much scripture you got. It's not who your friends are necessarily. You've got to have somebody praying for you. No, you don't. That doesn't hurt if they do. But the Lord knows you. He cares about you. You matter to him. If I can just touch him, talking to herself, if I can just touch him, I believe I'll get well. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, but with faith, it's possible to please him. There's another one that is always a joy to read. This is in Luke, Luke chapter 18. And verse 35, Luke 18, 35. And it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a verb, not an adverb, mercy. It literally reads, mercy me. It means I'm not needing somebody to feel sorry for me. I don't need somebody's pity. I'm asking you to help me, Jesus. The word mercy means the power of God being released into situations and settings that had been affected negatively in an evil way by sin and suffering, sin and Satan, by sin and Satan. The mercy of God is the power of God being released into a situation to alleviate the consequences of sin and Satan. Not that the one who is crying for it necessarily deserves it or has earned it. It wouldn't be called mercy if there'd be a wage It'd be a payment, but mercy means the power of God being sent to reverse the consequences of sin and Satan in the life of someone who doesn't deserve it, but who desperately needs it. He called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, and he But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now watch this, folks. Watch this. Watch the pleasure of God. Watch the pleasure of God. Invisible form in the person of Jesus. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he, Bartimaeus the blind beggar, had come near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for? Jesus said, and he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Literally, I want to see again. He's different evidently than the man born blind that Jesus healed. Bartimaeus had at one time seen and had lost his sight evidently. Lord, I want to see again. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. Literal reading, your faith has saved you. Pleasure of God, pleasure of God, pleasure of God. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, he had no money to give to the ministry of Jesus. He he, he had nothing to afford in a positive sense to, to the movement. But his faith the rapper of his faith was a voice that wouldn't stop shouting. Rude, obtrusive, uninvited. He wouldn't stop. Something was going off inside him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He wasn't a Bible scholar. He wasn't a churchgoer. He wasn't a rich donator. He was a beggar. But something inside his beggar's heart was going off in the direction of Jesus. And Jesus, God in the flesh, drawn to that cry out of all the other noises and all the other tugs in that crowd that day. He and I'm going to say to you, it was the pleasure of God that was responding to the faith cry of that beggar. Jesus, did, did, did he know if he's going to get anything? Did he have this undiluted faith that, oh, I'm going to, God's going to do it for me? I don't think so. I think he was a desperate beggar trying anything he could try to get out of the mess he was in. It wasn't pure faith. It wasn't perfect faith. It wasn't proven faith. It it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just desperation. Hallelujah. And it didn't offend Jesus. It delighted Jesus. It didn't cause him to want to run away. It caused him to turn and want to get close. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see you again. Receive your sight, he said. Your faith. Says, made you well. Folks, listen. Confess every sin he shows you. Turn away from every wrong that he puts in your hearts. That's wrong. Quit walking there. But, But knowing you know her, that when he's put that reaching in you, that longing in you, for him, Know where that's come from. That's come from His Spirit at work in you. Bringing you into a place, deeper and further into a place of His pleasure. Even if the starting point is adultery. Even if the starting point is murder. Even if the starting point is all kinds of trashing your life up. But something goes off in your heart. Jesus, have mercy on me. God, give me a break. Lord, help me. Or maybe that's not your rapper. Maybe your rapper is a long, long, unending season. But to know that he delights in hearing you say, one more morning, staring at the same cup that holds coffee in it, but it's the same cup sitting at the same table looking out at the same mockingbird on the other side of the window. Well, Lord, here we are again. Been doing this for a while now. But what I want you to know, Lord, this morning is by your grace, by your spirit at work in me, I believe you. I trust you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, God, for what hadn't happened. Thank you for what's coming. Thank you for who you are. I praise you. I bless you. I love you. I honor you. One simple key to a life that pleases God. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you. Against all odds, with the turning of the calendar pages, with the arrayed enemies gathered around, whatever it may look like, I trust you, Lord. I cast myself upon your mercy. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you, I believe you. You know, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to ask the Lord for wisdom as to how we respond to and how we genuinely encourage folks who are going through some of these kinds of things. That that we be careful, be careful that we not make our comments only in the direction of how you can get the situation fixed or how you can get your fortune restored or how you can get something back or how you can get something in. What if, folks, listen, what if, what if the Lord allows, not that he causes all of them, but what if he allows certain circumstances for the express purpose of bringing out from us that which he most delights in, which is trust, which is faith. That he allows some things not to get fixed because he wants us to know the joy and the work of his spirit rising up within us just saying, Lord, I believe you. I'm going to trust you anyway. I find it interesting that as Abraham gave glory to God, (laughs) he grew strong in faith. And shortly after that, Sarah comes in and says, you are not going to believe this, but we're going to have a baby. What if there is a correlation? In some settings, for some folks, that when the praise gets stronger, the expressions of faith get louder, get bigger, that we may be getting closer to the culmination of it all. Don't know, but I just find that interesting about Abraham's life. One simple key to a life that pleases God, is to believe Him. Right now, in the middle, before anything changes, to say, Lord, I believe You. Lord, I thank You for our time together this morning in Your Word. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of Your Spirit that you will cause what has been spoken that you want us to walk out of here with to be truly portable that we won't lose it That, that our minds will not be able to jettison it but that somehow by your spirit and you can do it Lord you can bring to our remembrance the things which the Lord has said Father in the as the week progresses, as Tuesday comes, as Thursday hits, and our time alone with you, middle of the night, middle of the day, that you will let us hear what parts of this we need to hear all over again, that we can live a life that pleases you, that is a joy to you, that is a delight to you. when we make the choice to let faith grow and be expressed through our lives. Lord, I pray that as we look across the things that confuse us, that worry us, that eat away at us at times, that we would be able to back away two or three steps and just step out on the, across the top of that in our minds, in our hearts, and standing in a way that is speaking over these things that bother us, to stand over that all and just say, look unto you, Lord, I believe you. I believe you, Lord. I'm trusting you, Lord. This is yours. I trust you, Jesus. And, Lord, I thank you for the breakthroughs that you intend. I thank you for the blessings from heaven that are on the way, that are in your heart, that are all a part of your wonderful and perfect timing, timing for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.